We said before, had a great weekend. Looking forward to a great week. See what doors God opens up. We're going to go to Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Our focus thought as we're doing this, our title is Stirred by God, and our focus thought is that God seeks to stir His people to do the work He has called them to do. How many in here is people of God? We're all people of God. And there's times that God stirs us to do the things He's called us to do. How many feels like you're doing exactly what God's called you to do? we got to make sure that we position ourselves in that spot. God's called us to do some things, and that's an honor. And uh, we need to make sure we position ourselves that when God's ready, when God's using us, that we can do that. Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Now in the first year of Sirius, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Sirius, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Sirius, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea, Judah, who is there among you, all his people, his God people with you, and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of that place help him with silver, with gold, with goods, and with beasts, beside the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Verse 5, Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised, to go up to build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, and with beasts, and with precious things, beside all that was willing offered. Also Sirius the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and had put them in the house of his gods. Even those did Sirius king of Persia bring forth by the hand of Merethe the treasurer, and number them, unto Sheshbar, the prince of Judah. And this is a number of them, thirty chargers of gold, a thousand chargers of silver, nine and twenty knives, thirty basins of gold, silver basins of a second sort, four hundred and ten, and other vessels a thousand. All the vessels of gold and of silver were five thousand and four hundred, and these did Sheshbazar bring up with them to the captivity to where they were brought into Babylon and to Jerusalem. A lot of stuff happening in the scripture, and a lot of it doesn't make sense right now, but hopefully by the time Sunday school's over today, that everything just kind of comes together. Stirred. Stirred by God. The Freedom Tower. Most people know and remember 9-11. I think probably every one of us, if I would talk about September 11, 2001, we could name the exact location we were at. Remember, I was in math class, Mr. Klein's math class. Uh, when we first heard of everything going on and TVs were turned on and it was just a different day. It wasn't a normal school day after that. And I remember everybody talking and what's going to happen next. Remember the footage of the passengers' jets that crashed into those towers and 
as people looked uh, at New York, even though there's all these skyscrapers, uh, there was just a, a vast emptiness. Something was missing. Something was different. It just wasn't normal. It wasn't long before America began to come together. Five years after this tragedy, they began to build Freedom Tower. This would be different. It would Instead of being twin towers, it would be one large tower. And it would be much larger than the other tower. And it would stand at 1,776 feet. 1776. In remembrance of the year that America gained its independence. Over eight years of time it took until that was built. Out of ashes. Out of a horrible day. Out of a moment that uh, people thought was never going to be able to recover from. Was a great building. That would be a remembrance of things past. But also of a new beginning. Some of the children of Israel remember what it was like when they were overtaken by the Babylonians and they watched the Temple of Solomon torn down. They remember what it was like uh, as they were doing their normal things, just going about their everyday business, and all of a sudden the enemy came in and attacked them. A time that I'm sure they would, be, would dream about, have nightmares about in that moment. Though they were alive, they were captive. I believe there are some things in our lives that we remember these dark times. Events that took place where the enemy came in like a storm and began to just crush us and begin to take the very life out of us. Moments that we still think about. Moments that maybe we still have scars from. Some pain. There's some things in our life that we've went through. And because of those things, we've gotten to a place of maybe captivity. Lulled asleep by the enemy. Not as strong as we once were. Not as powerful as we once were. Prayer lives weren't as great as they used to be. But I know what I'm talking about today. Children of Israel were finally able to rebuild. And I believe as they begin to rebuild that this time they didn't take the presence of God for granted as much. This time was different even though the, the temple they were building wasn't going to be as big and wasn't going to be as expensive. It was going to mean more than the original temple. Because they lived through something. They conquered something. Something in their life changed when they went to captivity and they were there for 70 years. As we begin to think about uh, growing up, scientists and people that study, psychologists believe that between the ages of 13 and 21, we are rounded out into who we're going to be for the rest of our lives. That whatever takes place in that moment, our relationships with our peers, our relationships with our families, our relationships with churches and schools, uh, whatever happens between the year, years of 13 to 21 will shape who we will be for the rest of our lives. How we respond, how we act, what our work ethic is. Between the ages of 13 and 21, it's developed, it's established. They say the only thing that will ever change that is a significant emotional event. Something that goes inside of us and stirs us deeply. Something that shakes us to the core, something that gets down deep. And says, no, this is what you used to be, but now you're going to be this way. And I believe for many of us, that's the Spirit of God working in us. It's a lot of us uh, coming from a couple different routes. Some of us have been born and raised in church. But even though we're in our 13 to 21 years of age being in church, we're still not understanding God. We still don't understand the fullness of everything. We still don't understand life. There's those that weren't raised in church. And you have a totally different background and, and if somebody saw you now versus when you were 13 to 21, they would be surprised. Something has 
significant has taken place. Something has stirred them. Something has shaken them to the core. Powerful things happen. We allowed ourselves to be stirred. As we begin the book of Ezra, the book of Ezra details the Jewish people leaving Babylonian captivity and coming back to their promised land. Finally able to get back to where they're supposed to be. And it's interesting how this takes place because it comes through a a totally different situation than they would have ever thought. But if they would have known the scripture, they should have saw it coming. Isaiah chapter 44 verse 28. That saith Assyrius, he is my shepherd, shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built into the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Back in Isaiah it was prophesied that there's going to be this Assyrius that comes and he's going to establish again. 150 years before this took place, the Word of God went forth. The Word of God went forth and it's going to accomplish what it was meant to accomplish. It goes on to say in verse 45, or chapter 45, verse 13, in Isaiah, I have raised him up in righteousness and I will direct all his ways. Still talking about Sirius. He shall build my city and he shall let let go my captives. Not for price, not for reward, saith the Lord of hosts. Obviously, there would have been children of Israel that had read the Bible and been familiar. And when they heard that King Sirius was going to be reigning over them and had taken over Babylon, some of them probably had a lot of hope. There could have been others that have been like, oh, here we go again. We've heard this before. There was others that never opened the Bible or read the Word and be like, I don't know who this dude is. We're just in captivity again. But the Bible lets us know something significant happens as soon as Sirius takes over. Ezra chapter 1 verse 1 says that the Lord stirred up Sirius. It was not something Sirius planned on happening in his life, but something that just took place out of nowhere, an event. We're really not sure what the event was, but something in Sirius' life took place where he was stirred. The word stirred literally means to be awakened. To be awakened to something. In other words, the Lord has awakened Sirius to his God-given purpose. Think about it for a second. He was asleep for all this time. And finally, God kind of opened the door and says, hey, look, this is what you're really supposed to do. This is what you were created to do. In this moment, it was in the hand of God working on him that would affect the rebuilding of the temple and release his people. God has always had a plan and purpose for His people. There's a plan in your life right now. Something that you're supposed to be doing. Something that God's been knocking on your heart to say, hey, I need to get your attention. When was the last time that you can remember that God truly stirred you? It's the last time that you had that moment when uh, maybe you were kind of lulled to sleep by what was going on in your life. In a service, a message, a song, a prophetic word. Somebody praying with you, a moment at an altar, shook you and stirred you to your core and kind of woke you up again. Have you ever been there before? You're just kind of going through the motions. I don't even know why I'm coming to church. I don't even know why I'm here. I come into church and I sit down and I do the same thing over and over again. We act the act that we need to act in that moment and then we kind of go home and nothing ever really changes. 
the mundane actions that we do every time because we know how to do church. Situations that come up that allows us and gives us excuses just to be kind of here and kind of not. We face those all the time. I believe there's people probably right here in the sound of my voice that's feeling this exact thing. God, I woke up to make somebody happy today. I got dressed and came to church so somebody wouldn't be on my back today. But what are we missing out on? Why, why are we having those thoughts? Why, what has been taken from us? What has left us? What is gone that we feel that way? Because it should be an exciting time. Anytime someone says, come into the house of the Lord, we should be privileged, we should be honored, we should feel excited about it. Yet many times we don't feel that way. So when was the last time God stirred you? When was the last time God really got your attention? When was the last time that a message was spoken and brought you to tears? Come on, we have to have these moments. We have to have those moments where God just begins to work on us and God begins to stir us from the core that begins to change the route that our life is taking. That's what an interaction with God does. Ezra chapter 1 verse 2 through 4 goes on even further. Let's say Assyria's king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He hath changed me. He has charged me. To build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is there among you all of his people. His God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of this place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and the beasts beside the freewill offering for the house of the God in Jerusalem. King Sirius begins to reveal five things. First, the Lord God of heaven has spoken. This makes absolutely zero sense. He was king of Persia. They had their own gods. They had their own rituals. They had their own idols. There was no reason he should ever identify that God in heaven spoke. A significant change is taking place. The Lord had appointed him to build a temple for the Lord in Jerusalem. Not only that, but now I'm going to honor the ones I have in captivity. Doesn't make any sense. Number three, he was freeing any Jewish exile. Any person he has in captive, I'm going to free. And if you want to go, you can go. And if you don't want to go, instead of supporting me, I want you to support that cause. What is taking place? Verse 4, he ordered those to return to be involved in the rebuilding of the temple. That doesn't happen. There was a reason that after the children of Israel were taken over by the Babylonians, that, that the temple was torn down. It's because that was their hope. And any time in history, if you go look and see a, uh, any nation takes over another nation, they go and they take over their gods. And they make them worship their own gods. But now this king said, you know what? You go right ahead. Go ahead and restore that again. Put things back together. Get your people back where they're supposed to be. 
Listen, we look for the places that we think restoration is going to come from. We look for places that we think, God, this is where it's going to happen. This is where it's going to come from. This is where my blessing is going to happen. And God said, you have no idea where it's going to come from. Because listen, as people, if we can determine where it's going to come from, then we've, we made it. We take credit for it. Look what I've done. I've worked hard and got myself blessings. I've worked hard and opened up doors for myself. I got myself out of that mess. The Lord's going to take a step back and say, you, you serious right now? This king should have never let you out. This king should have never restored you. I'm going to get every ounce of credit for restoring you guys. 70 years in captive. 70 years that the Babylonians have bullied you and told you what to do. I'm going to get some glory out of this. You know what we need to start doing? We need just to get our hands to the plow. Do what God has asked us to do. And allow some things to fall into place. Come on, what would happen if tomorrow the person that talks about you all the time blesses you? What would happen if the person that gets on your nerves, the person that's caused you the most pain and hurt, if that person came up out of nowhere and says, I'm going to get you back to where you need to be. I'm going to get you back on your feet. Are we in a place where we're allowing God to move that way? Are we placing God in a box that says, God, your parameters are this and only this. God, I want you to bless. God, I want you to move. God, I want you to restore. We've got to open our mindset. We've got to open what we allow God to do. Why would he ever use a Persian king? In our lives, little things happen. Moments in time that stir us. I was just thinking about God. King Cyrus was a great conqueror of a massive amount of land. Had made a great name for himself. But was still stirred. It doesn't follow what we heard about these other kings. The other kings admired themselves. Talked about all they had done. Talked about all they had accomplished. But the first words out of his mouth was that God in heaven gave me all this land. Not the armies I developed, not the plans that I came up with, but the God in heaven is the reason that I'm here right now. If he can turn, listen, if he can turn a king from a totally different religion, a totally different thought process, and that king realizes God blesses him, how much more should we realize that God has blessed us in our lives? How much more should we take a step back on our rough days and say, God, the reason I have all this is because of you. God, the reason I'm here right now is because of you. If it weren't for you, God, I wouldn't have what I have right now. King Sirius, a great conqueror, was still stirred by God. That means it doesn't matter how high we get. It doesn't matter how much we accomplish. It doesn't matter what our net worth becomes. We still have moments that we must be stirred by God. God charged Sirius to build a temple in Jerusalem. The task that Sirius was given by God would seem rather strange, especially since he would build to other false gods. You can rest assured that every promise and prophecy of God is going to come to pass. And this was prophesied by Isaiah 150 years before. The kingdom of God will be built as people respond to his stirrings. 
as people respond to the moving of God, things begin to happen. So when church service begins and pastor begins to minister, your response determines whether we grow or not. Come on, your response when the pastor challenges us that we need to pray more determines whether we have revival or not. Our response when the praise and worship team gets up and starts singing and playing determines how far we go in that service. The stirring that God places in your heart determines what takes place when we begin to respond. And we will respond one way or the other. Our response can be that we're going to ignore it or our response is, hey, I'm going to move. Don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know how we're going to get there. But I feel God moving. I feel God stirring. And I wonder how many right now have felt God move you and you're just not sure what actions to take. I feel it. I hear them. I just don't know which step to take. I just don't know where to go from here. God's going to open some things up for you. Many times in the Word of God, we see the Lord moving the lives of unbelievers to help fulfill His purpose. He has the ability to soften the hardest hearts. He can cause major shifts to alter their thinking, behaviors, and actions. In our text, this great king was moved on by the Spirit of the Lord, and his heart was stirred. In response, he acts upon what God tells him to do. Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 says, And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. He says, it doesn't matter who it is. If I need to change their heart, I will change their heart. So who have you been working on? What family member have you been reaching for? What co-worker have you been praying for? And then the enemies crawled up and says, they're never going to come. They're never going to come to God. They're never going to repent. They're never going to grace the doorway of a church. Can I tell you, if God can change this king's heart, he can change the heart of the person you're praying for. He can change your family's heart, your spouse's heart. Come on, don't give up prayer. Don't give up on worship. Don't give up praying over your husband or your wife. Don't give up praying over your kids. If God can stir this king's heart to allow some things to open up, then what can he do to your husband right now? What can he do to your children? What can he do to the rest of your family? There's got to be a stirring that takes place. Ezra chapter 1 verse 5. Not only was this great king stirred, but the Bible says, Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah, and Benjamin, and the priests, and the Levites, with all of them whose spirit God had raised, to go to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Notice, they were awakened. They were raised up. Which means they moved and went into action. God did something miraculous on His side, but there still had to be a response by the people of God. God can show us miracles and signs and wonders, but if we don't respond to the miracles, signs and wonders, what's going to take place? What's going to happen? Seventy long years. Seventy long years, and we get upset for a couple bad weeks. So God has quit preaching to me today. Me. 70 years of slowly forgetting who they were in God. 70 years of forgetting the promises. 70 years of forgetting what it was like to worship God. 
70 years of forgetting what it was like to be in His presence. 70 years of forgetting what freedom felt like. 70 years is getting ready to be restored. The decree of Sirius began to come up and revive them. One moment can give us hope. One action can give us hope to keep pushing and to keep pressing. One moment of time can take us to that place. But understand, it was not going to be easy. There's going to be some sacrifice involved. If you want this restored, you're going to have to go build it. I said, if you want revival, you've got to go build it. If you want an anointing from God, you've got to go invest in it. If you want to be used by God, you've got to begin to sacrifice. I said, listen, I want to help out here, the king says. But he says, you know what? If you're going to do this thing, you need to start working on it on your own. Why? Because when things are just given to us out of nowhere... We take it for granted. God says, you had that luxury before. I opened some things up. I gave you just things out of nowhere. And you backslid. This time you're going to work for it. Because those things we work for are sweet. So they begin to get ready. And they begin to, to go together. One of the last things that it says was that King Sirius ordered that the things that had been taken from the house of the Lord during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, should be returned to the people. Listen to me. We read about all those things, and it sounded like all oh, this shackles and those shackles and those charges and those charges and 5,000 some odd things, and you're sitting there thinking, what does all that mean? Listen, these items included 30 charges of gold, 1,000 charges of silver, 29 knives, 30 basins of gold, 410 silver basins, 1,000 other vessels. What is that? What's the significance of that? Every bit of those tools were used for sacrifice. Every bit of those tools were used for worship. It would have been the very knives that they would have used to cut open the lamps. It would have been the very basins, the chargers. These would have been some types of buckets that they would have collected the blood sacrifice. Not only does he say, I want you to go build the temple, but I'm going to give you the tools to worship in it. I'm going to give you the ability to begin to worship before it's even done. Before it's even said and done. Because we know, listen, you can't turn to the temple until you go before the altar. He said, I'm going to give you the gift to start everything off with. I'm going to give you the gift of worship back. The enemy restores worship to the captives that he has. He might as well gave them. Come on. He might as well gave them spears. And swords. And every other imaginable thing they used in war at that time. Because listen. Their worship. Was their battle cry. Their worship. Was the thing that allowed them to get. Their worship is the thing that allowed them to get to the promised land in the first place. Their worship was allowed, the thing that allowed them to be put on the map and to be feared by people. And the enemy, in the midst of it all, is not only going to allow them to build a temple again, but here you go, go ahead and start worshiping. Come on, because once worship's restored, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. 
So this is how we fight our battles. Amen. Come on, right now you have an opportunity to fight your battle. Yes. Yes. Come on, the enemy cannot take your worship. The enemy cannot take the things of worship. You may feel like you're surrounded right now, but God has worship there for you. As you'll begin to respond, and you begin to push and begin to move and allow God to stir you. There's times, those moments, where, man, we just feel a stirring. What do I do? I said it earlier, what do I do when I feel that stirring? What do I do when I begin to feel God moving? I just don't know what to do. Lift your hands. Open up your mouth. Let go. Come on, when you begin to praise and you begin to sing and you begin to say, God, I love you. I praise you. I worship you. I honor you. Come on, at first you feel all tight. At first it still feels like you're bound and captive, but as you begin to say that more and more, all of a sudden things begin to happen. Releases begin to happen. Hope begins to become restored again. You have to respond to the stirring of God in your life. And it may not make sense in that moment. None of this made sense. The whole book, first chapter of Ezra, does not make sense. But it was restoring the people to where they need to go. Just because you can't make sense of what God's doing in your life doesn't mean God isn't doing something. Because you can't explain it to somebody. It's really hard to knock somebody that doesn't understand worship but they've never experienced worship. It's hard to knock somebody when they say we're a little bit crazy and we never really experienced what we experience. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul admonished Timothy to stir up the gift of God. He is telling him he needs to continue allowing God to move on him and through him. You can't stop now, Timothy. You can't stop once you get a title. You can't stop once you get the Holy Ghost. You can't stop once you get to the house of the Lord, but you got to continue to allow God to stir you. Continue to allow God to move in your life and begin to pour out on you. In closing, getting ready to close, you want to stand. Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites and the sons of Asaph and cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because He is good. For His mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Come on. If you can just lay a foundation, that's all you need, honey. If you can just start a foundation, everything else is going to be built. If you, if you can just start with worship, if you can just start with praise, if you can just get out of your own way, God can move in ways you never thought of before. When we just get our eyes focused on Him and our hearts in tune with His Spirit and His anointing, look out. My goodness, quit trying to carry around all this weight. Quit trying to accept that the bondage you're living under right now is who you're going to be the rest of your life. Come on, you cannot allow yourself to believe that that's going to be the end. And this is what I'm always going to be. Because one day, the word of the Lord is going to be fulfilled. 
the word of the Lord that says that king is going to come up out of nowhere. And it's going to allow you to restore again. It's going to bring worship back. A king should never allow that to happen. I understand we live in a crazy world right now. But through the midst of this all, I believe something can still rise up that says, you know what, Christians? We still need you to praise. We still need you to worship. We, we still need you to pray like you've never prayed before. We still need you to fast like you never fasted before. If we'll close our eyes all across this place, begin to lift up our hands. Come on, right now, what's stirring you? Come on, right now, every time you come into the place of God, do you feel a stirring? And you're just not sure how to respond. Maybe you're doing everything right, and right now God's just trying to take you to a higher place. But that stirring, that move of the Holy Ghost just doesn't make sense. The steps that God's trying to make you take next just doesn't make sense. God, how am I ever going to get to that level? Come on, you just need to continue to worship. You need to continue to praise. You need to continue to build. You need to continue to invest. God, I need you today, Jesus. I'm not happy in this place of captivity. I'm not happy feeling bound all the time, God. God, but I need you to move in such a way. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. God, we need you to move, Lord Jesus. Set every captive free right now in the name of Jesus. Every person that came in bound, God. Every person is hurting, God. Every person that needs to hear your voice, God. I pray, Lord, you'd help them respond today, Jesus. Lord, I worship you, Jesus. God, I praise you, Father. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, let God stir you right now. Let God take you to another level. Let God challenge you right now. Lord, we worship you, Jesus. God, I feel you, and I'm going to respond. God, I feel you in the depths of my soul. God, I'm going to respond today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on.